Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Tonight I'm reading for us verses 18 through 25, looking specifically at verses 20 through 25. Again, now this is the Lord's word. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for, uh, for peace, because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, The voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory Uh, Give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. And the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. This is the Lord's word. Would you bow with me and let's ask the Lord's blessing. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much uh, for the privilege of worship. We thank you for your word and the things that uh, your word teaches us concerning you and the things that it uh, teaches us concerning us and our response to you and your grace. Oh, Father, again, we come and humble ourselves before you, asking that you would pour forth your spirit, blessing this servant and blessing these people. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you will strengthen and encourage us And I humbly ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're finally wrapping up chapter 12 here in Acts. And as we have read and as we have seen, this is a record of a second wave of persecution against the church. This time, however, it was not brought about by the religious leaders in Jerusalem, uh, but by King Herod Agrippa, by the government, who was persecuting now the church It was a persecution that was cruel to and intended to intimidate and silence the church. It was a persecution which was to be used to further Herod's standing with the Jews. Remember that he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. We're told in verses 3 and 4, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, that is Herod, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And what we are told is that Herod was intending after the Passover to bring, uh, to bring Peter out before the people. Herod does and intends to do uh, what every very shrewd politician does. That is, never let a golden opportunity pass you by when it can further your ends, when it, you can achieve your ends doing what you do. Herod's no different than our own politicians today. He, he really isn't. Uh, in fact, As we look at this, you you will see how much of a politician and how much he is like the typical politician is today. He serves himself with his agenda, with his position. He persecutes the Lord's people, not to mention he is also persecuting the Lord. And that's one thing we need to remember when persecution breaks out against the church. 
it's not just the church that's being attacked. As we learned from uh, Acts chapter 9, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me, said the Lord to Saul. Um, These Christians were not a problem. And again, I'm not saying that we're a perfect group of people or that we never, as Christians, do what is wrong. But if you had to choose a society of Muslims or a society of Christians, you should always choose a society of Christians because they have the spirit of God and they have the word of God and they operate in the fear of the Lord. Again, not perfectly, not across the board. That's why we have exhortations. But there's a, there's a decided difference between what a Christian society, a, a culture that's infiltrated or permeated rather with Christianity is a very different thing than other cultures. And you can, you can look, at, look at news articles. Look, look at how Christian, uh, uh, Christian societies treat women versus how Muslim societies treat women. There is a vast difference. Uh, there's a vast difference. Christians are a blessing to any nation. They are. They are not the problem, but they are the easiest to pick on. They're the easiest to pick on, to abuse, because they are taught to turn the other cheek, to bless those who curse, to pray for those who mistreat you, and they are taught to overcome evil with good. Um, We are never told to seek our own vengeance. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, and we've, we've covered this verse a number of times. I think it's a good thing that we continue to cover this. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is the reality. Scripture teaches this, and history has repeatedly affirmed it. The world hates Christians, but they hated Jesus Christ first. If we follow Jesus Christ, we can expect that um, as they have hated the Lord Jesus, they will hate his people as well. So what are we supposed to do? Because of this, shall we live in fear? Shall we live in intimidation? Shall we go into hiding? Shall we live lives of being afraid? And should we be silenced because we don't want to rock the boat? And and this is really what is before us in, in this text. You have to think that Luke has recorded this book. He's recorded these events in order to encourage and strengthen the saints. So the saints would have been reading these things. Christians, early Christians would have been reading Luke's account and they would be taking lessons from it. They would be encouraged by this. And here we've just read this, uh, this story about uh, Peter and James being arrested and, and how they were persecuted and all that's taken place and the Christians being afraid. Again, this is the second wave. Is it never going to end? You know, why are they picking on us? We're good citizens. We're doing the things that are right. But we have to remember that the Lord said that the world hates him and the world hates his followers. These would be the kinds of things. And so the Christian, caught in turmoil, says to himself, I just need to sit down and be quiet. I just need to go away. I just need to lay low. 
and, 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 and we need to stop our evangelizing. We need to stop rocking the boat, right? Isn't this the expectation on us today? We love your religion. We want you to be religious. Of course, people are religious. Just stop talking, for crying out loud, about Jesus Christ. And what does the Christian say to this? He can't agree to this. You can't sit by and not speak about Jesus Christ, but you make everyone upset when you do that. I understand. But there's also no hope for anyone apart from Jesus Christ. You can be religious all day long. The world will love you. Watch the football game. Don't watch the football game. I'm glad you're here. You'll watch and you'll see people will be out there praising God at the Grammys last week. I didn't watch it. I hope you didn't either. Um, But I'm sure there's people holding up their golden idols saying, want to give thanks to God, right, for their explicit rap album that they just got an award for. People love religion, but they don't love Jesus Christ. And the world wants to silence the church. They do. That's not me being conspiratorial. That's just me being biblical. That's what happens, and that's what we have seen here. What is a Christian supposed to do? Here he's recorded these things, the persecution of the church's leadership, James and Peter. He records the death of James, but also he records the deliverance of Peter. And as you recall, it's quite amazing when you consider how impossible such a deliverance was uh, that the Lord accomplished. It was it was impossible. He had the most guards. He had the most secure situation. There was no way Peter was going to get out of there. And Herod knew this. He just puts him on ice and says, look, we're going to hold on to you just a little bit longer. When it's expedient for me, for political theater, we're going to bring you out. There was no way that Peter was going to get out of there. And yet, huh, (laughs) Peter gets out. How does he get out of there? Because of the Lord. And and you, you, you see this? What kind of pickle, what kind of predicament are the Lord's people going to face in the, the months and years ahead? And, and you should know there's not a single one of them that is impossible for our God. Not a single one. So when it comes to being afraid, you don't need to be afraid. In fact, I dare say, like Peter and Silas or Paul, Paul and Silas later, they sing. They sing. And for good reason. Because our God, our God is not going to be stopped. His church is not going to be stopped. We must never think that anything is impossible for our gods. The scriptures are replete with dozens and dozens of examples of the Lord doing impossible things and delivering his people. But as Luke has recorded these things, we looked at two weeks ago, verses 18, um, 18 and 19. And Luke begins to record that not only persecution uh, takes place for the Lord's people, but we see the Lord's vindication of his people. We see that the Lord does judge. The Lord does see. The Lord is not, his arm is not short when it comes to delivering his people. Those who persecute the Lord's people do not get away with their evil. The Lord does vindicate his people. In fact, Paul would say in 2 Thessalonians It is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And as Luke has recorded, after Peter's miraculous deliverance, the guards were in a state of frenzy. And after being interrogated, 
they were executed. Though under command of Herod, they had uh, an obligation to oppose unjust uh, legislation. They had an obligation, and I, I stand by this statement quite firmly, when a government, um, when an official, when they tell us to go and do something that is morally wrong, you have an obligation to disobey. An obligation to disobey. They should have, these guards should have disobeyed Herod. That would have been the lesser of two evils. And that would have been right in the eyes of the Lord. These guards, because they did not disobey, um, the Lord has them put to death uh, because of, of Herod and because of military law. They were complicit with Herod and his evil orders. So we see these guards, that the Lord has judged them. But we also see that the, the Lord has caused Herod uh, to suffer humiliation. He was about to make a show of Peter. And what happens to Herod? He gets shown up. And he's a bigwig, remember this, in Jerusalem. In fact, Jerusalem is his hometown. He lives there. He's considered a Jew. He's invited to read the law. Um, he, he, he walks around and he, he drops his, his mother's name, Miriam, uh, as giving him some street credibility that he is indeed a Jew. And yet, if you think of uh, Esther chapter 7 and Haman's gallows, we see something very similar to this take place. Um, when we last saw, Herod ended up going down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. That's what Luke says. And I believe it's, it's meant to record here um, that he was like a dog with his tail between his legs. He leaves Jerusalem. He leaves his home. He leaves in defeat as the Lord did not allow him to make sport of Peter. All his plans and all his grandiose ideas came to nothing in regard to Peter. And he just quietly slinks away and doesn't get to do use the situation to benefit himself but this is not all and this is why this next passage of scripture is is so interesting to me it's recorded um, Luke records what ultimately occurs to Herod and it's recorded for us so that when kings and presidents and government officials decide to make sport with the Lord's people even local governments when they decide that they're going to make sport with the Lord's people, we may be encouraged knowing that they will never be able to stop the church or to injure them or finally to silence them. You've won. The church wins. Luke records this so that we see, and, and you see this, this whole thing. Here's Herod, and he's, he's doing what he's doing. He goes away to his own place. And notice how Luke wraps up these, this passage of scripture with Paul and Barnabas doing what they have done. They're moving on and the church continues to thrive. Herod's a blip on the screen of history. He rises up. He shakes his fist in the face of God and the Lord always has the last laugh. That's why this is recorded. It's meant to give the church encouragement when we see persecution of governments against the church. And so you don't need to be afraid. 
And we don't need to be silent, nor should we be silent. When, when, when the government and officials and legislation say, this is hate speech, you've got to quit talking about Jesus Christ, don't you know you're making everyone around you feel guilty? Great! <laughs> Repent and believe the gospel and be saved. That's, that's the message we carry. It's not hate. Ultimately, it would be hate if we sat and were quiet. Then we would be hating our neighbor, wouldn't we? So, bear in mind, when we talk about uh, the government um, not being able to stop the church, I am not saying that there aren't Christians, lovely Christian people who die. We just read about James, um, or spoke about James dying. Um, Christians do go through difficulties. We go through hardships. Um, and I'm not saying that it won't come to us. In prov- God's providence, some never Luther for instance you would think Luther would have been put to death Luther died a natural death Um, but not everyone is this way if you read Hebrews 11 some lived in caves and some were sawn in two so what I am saying however is that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord whether we live where the Lord's or we die we go to be with the Lord we ultimately we don't lose our lives may not reach 70 years but we don't lose if we're in the Lord And that being said, the church itself will never, ever come to an end in this world. The church will never, ever come to an end in this world. Jesus said to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He also says in Matthew, the Lord is with us to the end of the age. My friends, Be encouraged as the Lord sees what is going on in this world. Uh, And I assure you, he is not a disinterested third party, but cares intimately for his bride. Herod does not get away with his wickedness any less than did the guards. Remember this, that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We started off the service by reading from Psalm 2. Let me read these two verses again to us, these three verses. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Herod, identifying as a Jew, no doubt knew this psalm. Now think with me for a second. King Herod in Jerusalem, he has to kill the guards. He interrogates them. Nobody seems to know how it was possible that Peter got away. We don't know how he got away, Herod. We don't know. We slept. We always sleep. (laughs) We're chained. It's nighttime. I don't know how he got away. What do you think was in Herod's mind at that point? This is Peter. We got James. These are the leaders of, of, the, of the church, the Christian church. They're a strange group of people. You know, rumor had it that they got out before and an angel had gotten them out of prison. And 
What do you think Herod should have done? What would have been the proper response for King Herod at this point, knowing that Peter has just gotten away? Has the Lord ever stuck you with an arrow? Has he ever inflicted you with something like, ooh, I really got this thing wrong. I need to correct my ways. I need to repent. I I need to make something right that has been made wrong. And and that arrow is stuck in you, and and you go, "I, I better go deal with this matter. It would seem to me that Peter's escaping from an impossible situation should have impressed Herod to the extent that he had said, ooh, maybe I was wrong to persecute James and Peter. Maybe, maybe I'm dealing with something here that's much greater, much bigger than I ever imagined. This God of the Christians has delivered Peter and unexplainably. What does Herod do? Does he repent? Does he pay homage to the Lord? Does he humble himself? Does he take a lesson and learn from it? The answer would be no. He doesn't. This is, this is a critical point. At this point, he should have repented. But instead, what he does is he leaves Jerusalem and he leaves all the bad memories, all the bad feelings behind, and he goes on with his work. Friends, when the Lord afflicts you and convicts you of sin, that's the time to say, I better stop. I better reassess what I'm doing, and I better repent. He doesn't. He is given yet a little time, but he does not make use of it, but removes the annoyance from before him, the sting of humiliation by leaving Jerusalem. That he remains in his arrogance and ungodliness is seen here in what we read in verse 20. Listen again. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him. And having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. Herod is portrayed as an unrepentant and arrogant man. And what we learn is that the arrogant had better repent. The arrogant man or woman had better repent. We get a glimpse here into Herod through his, this little historical detail. We see how he views himself, his position, and those who are beneath him. He is angry, we are told by Luke, with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were two harbor cities of Phoenicia, what is currently known as modern-day Lebanon. They were rival cities of Caesarea um, in the world of commerce. However, these two cities were dependent on Israel's grain harvest. The people of Tyre and Sidon have done something, we don't know what, but they have done something that has caused Herod to become angry with them, uh, to be greatly displeased with them. As a result of his displeasure, it is believed that Herod has cut off from these cities grain supplies. This sounds like modern-day politics, doesn't it? You've offended me. I think I'll let you starve. That's what politicians do, people with great big egos. Herod is using his authority to make their lives miserable. In short, one commentator says this, Herod conducted economic warfare with the Phoenicians, who for centuries had been Israel's trading partners. For centuries, Tyre and Sidon had been getting grain from Israel, 
and Herod comes on the scene. They've done something to displease him, and he says, oh, no more. You're not getting any more. I'm going to make you suffer. Do you remember um, hearing about Bridgegate back in 2013 uh, where some of Chris Christie's associates ended up shutting down a bridge because somebody didn't vote for him? That's an example of this kind of thing. Um, Luke doesn't go into great detail here, nor does he need to, to make his point. Herod is a man of great arrogance and pride. You do the least little thing to offend him, and you will pay the price. What kind of king does this? What kind of leader injures those over whom he is called to bless? What does it say about a person who would rather see people suffer, in this case, suffer the, uh, the effects of famine, than endure a personal affront? It says that he is too big for his britches. He is full of himself. How dare you do something like this to me? This is the kind of man Herod was. He is unkind and self-absorbed. What do they have to do to make this right? They have to flatter him. And with one accord, we're told, they came to him, having one over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. Again, Herod uses his authority to make them suffer. They are not getting food. They will have to schmooze him in order to get him to release his fist in order to give them grain. A delegation has come to Caesarea and speaks to Herod's chief officer, Blastus. One commentator says this, In ancient courts, as well as in some modern ones, domestic officers controlled the sovereign. And if not his ministers of state, they were really his confidential counselors. This delegation comes, and having won over Blastus, they have uh, persuaded him, perhaps by bribes, but no less probably by arguments, showing that the interest of Herod coincided with their own. All they seek is to be reconciled with them and to have him remove the embargo in order that the people may eat. The fact that they have to do this demonstrates the arrogance and pride of Herod. He is not a reasonable man. He will not be reasoned with. Instead, what he will do is, you will schmooze me, you will kowtow to me, and now I will give you what you want. But we see this further demonstrated as Luke continues in his record. In verses 21 and 23, he says... On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, The voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. If the arrogant don't repent, and this is, this is categorically true, because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. If the arrogant don't repent, the arrogant will be judged. This is what we see next. Again, Luke is writing these things to encourage the church. The arrogant need to repent. If the arrogant don't repent, they will be judged. He now records Herod in Caesarea. Again, these are very fascinating things. The Jewish histo uh, historiographer Josephus relates that King Herod uh, had come to Caesarea to celebrate a festival held in honor of Emperor Claudius. 
The festival consisted of games that were held every five years, presumably scheduled for the 1st of August to coincide with the emperor's birthday. This commentator goes on, quoting Josephus, and it's very interesting how Josephus' account uh, complements what Luke has written here. Josephus writes that on the second of these games, Herod entered the arena at daybreak. He was dressed in a garment woven from silver thread. When the first rays of the sun, now this is Josephus writing, when the first rays of the sun touched his cloak, Herod was illumined by the sun's reflected light. Straightway his flatterers raised their voices from various directions, though hardly for his own good, addressing him as a god. May you be propitious to us, they added. And if we have hitherto feared you as a man, yet henceforth we agree that you are more than a mortal in your being. The king did not rebuke them, nor did he reject their flattery as impious. Luke himself mentioned that Herod's royal apparel, uh, that Herod had his royal apparel, and that he took his place on the rostrum, that is the judgment seat, and that he began to address them, and that the people kept crying out the voice of a god and not of a man. Why did they say these things to Herod? Because he was arrogant. Because this is the only way you can deal with an arrogant person. You have to tell them what they want to hear. And you don't tell them the truth. J. Alexander says this was an exclamation, an expression of pretended admiration, perhaps begun by the Phoenician envoys in acknowledgement of Herod's lifting the embargo. If you're going to punish people for speaking truth, don't be surprised that they will eventually stop speaking the truth at all and just flatter you with empty praise. And friends, that's a very bad place to be when all people around you tell you what you want to hear rather than telling you what you need to hear. The wounds of a friend are faithful, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. This is, the, this is what Herod had built around himself. And the people say these things, you're a god, you're speaking like a god, you're just amazing. I don't know how we could stand to even be in your presence, you're so amazing. He's full of himself, and it's self-evident. As he allows this gathering of people, likely Gentiles, to give him praise that is false and unmerited, and allowing others to attribute to him what is false now you may ask, what's he supposed to do? He didn't get up there and say he was a god. They're just claiming he's a god. What's he supposed to do? If you turn over just a couple of chapters to Acts 14, we have something very similar take place in verses 11 through 18. This is how you handle it. When people start wanting to worship you, this is what you do. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes, rushed out in the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. That's what Herod should have done. Again, he claimed to be a Jew, didn't he? He claimed to be a Jew. He understood the serious affront it is to have uh, give worship to anyone who was not God. And yet he gladly took the praise from men as though he were actually a God. What does the Lord do because Herod basks in the praise of men? Praise which they shouldn't have given to him, but to God alone. He strikes Herod dead. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. The Lord judged Herod and sent his angel to strike him because he did not give God the glory. Herod truly believed he was deserving of such adulation. The Lord will not share his glory with another and God killed him. It is stated, um, Josephus, again, in his account, says that Josephus died over a period of five days. Luke just records that he was struck and he died. Um, The two accounts are not contradictory. It's stated that death by worms is extremely painful and that he likely reeked of decay. His dying, again, lasting five days, according to extra-biblical sources. My friends, what becomes of those who put themselves in the place of God and who then trouble his people? Would you be envious of the arrogant? Don't be. Don't don't envy them. Psalm 73, again, a passage we looked at several weeks back. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely, You set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. Herod does not get away with persecuting the Lord's people. He was arrogant. He was full of himself. He persecuted the Lord's people. He took praise that was to be given only to God, and God struck him dead. That is a that is a warning. That is a warning for all in leadership who would put themselves in the place of God, who would persecute his people. They will not get away with it. They will not get away with it. Meanwhile, the church, in spite of all of the wicked attempts of men, this is, this is just beautiful. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Herod has just been struck dead. His body reeks with decay. He's eaten up with worms. All that persecuted the church are now out of the picture temporarily. And what do we read of the church? Like a beautiful plant that continues to thrive. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Notice, 
in the face of persecution, the church continues to thrive. Maybe, maybe because of the persecution, the gospel continued to advance and people were coming to the Lord. I found this little um, statistic here. Mao Zedong's uh, Communist China. Uh, They said in 1976, by the time he died, there were roughly an estimate of 8 million Christians in China. By 2010, there's somewhere between 30 and 67 million Christians. Now remember, we're talking about communist China, and you know that the persecution has gotten heavier in China, according to the Chinese. By 2019, there's roughly, there's 100 plus million Christians estimated in China. And this has all come about during days of persecution and clamping down by government officials. Do you see how, how the world fights against the Lord in vain? This is what you see here, that the world fights against the Lord in vain. Nothing is going to stop the Lord's church regardless of whatever persecution or hardship comes to us, they don't win. And so we don't need to be without hope or like we learned in Sunday school this morning or without joy. Because the Lord doesn't change. He wins. Uh, They have no power to stop what what the Lord has ordained. And that is the Lord wants the salvation of the nations. And what do we see in the very next verse? It's just business as usual. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful little cap. In spite of everything that's going on, what we are given a picture of is a church that just faithfully plods along. And now, as we get into to, to chapter 13, we start to see this missionary journey. What does this tell us? That in the face of persecution and hardship, while we're all panicked and fearing what's going to happen, the church, they plan their next missions conference. They plan to host their next missionaries. They plan to support their missionaries. They just continue to witness and preach and pray and to gather and have fellowship meals and and hold children and celebrate marriage. We go about all the things the Lord has just given us to do and we just do them faithfully, regardless of what the world is doing. We know persecution is going to happen. We know the hardship is going to come. That should not change a single thing that we are about. It might mean that we sing quieter. It might mean that we, we... Pull the shades down, I don't know, but we don't stop and we don't miss a beat in the things that the Lord has called us to do. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for this night, and I thank you for this passage of Scripture and the stern and stark reminder it is that those who shake their fist at you will not live many days. Father, we pray that we would be warned um, concerning the arrogance of Herod and how he would use his position to hurt others. We ask, Father, that we would um, warn people like this um, out of a sense of love. Father, I pray that you would 
uh, encourage and strengthen your church, especially our brothers and sisters tonight who suffer persecution for the name of Christ, that they would not be disheartened. We pray, O Lord, that you would daily remind them of your nearness, that they would not lose their way. We pray that their minds and their eyes would be stayed upon Jesus. And I do pray that your blessing now be upon us as we leave this place. I ask all of this in Jesus' name, our matchless Savior. Amen.